This is another episode of Dear Analysts. And in this episode, I am super excited to have Matt Basta, who is an engineer at Runway, share his story and experience working at Uber. And the way I came across Matt was actually from reading this blog post. And this blog post is full of technology, corporate drama, and of course, my favorite subject, Excel, spreadsheets, and everything in between. And it's just an amazing story. I'll link to it in the show notes. But Matt, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm glad to be here. Before we kick off into the subject of this blog post, can you tell us more about your background and how you got, well, your background and where you work today? Yeah. So right now I'm at Runway. I've been here for just over a year. Before Runway, I was at Stripe for almost five and a half years, like five and a quarter. And then before Stripe, I was at Uber for a year and a half for that box and Mozilla. Cool. And you were always in an engineering capacity in all these companies. Yeah. I, I mostly do sort of weird engineering, I'd say. It's sort of a, <laughs> a mix of security and a little bit of product work, sort of like infrastructure best practices. For a long time, I did performance, sort of bounce around between a, a bunch of different areas. Cool. So, I mean, we'll just get right into it. And this story just was one of the most fascinating stories I've read in a long time. And like I said in the beginning, it was a super great narrative storytelling. Can you tell us about your experience at Uber and what kind of give us the context of this, I'll call it an Excel project that you worked on before we actually get into the project. And I would, I would love for you to just like read the whole story if you could, but I'm just going to have you focus on more of the context and some of the key takeaways for this episode. Of course. So I had followed somebody who was a, a fairly senior engineering leader at Box to Uber. And they had convinced me to join and said, hey, we've got this great team working on this greenfield stuff, really interesting work. And it, it captivated me. I was interested. I, I liked this person when I, when I joined. And so the team was called Crystal Ball. And it was part of the business intelligence department at Uber. The idea was we were trying to provide a platform for folks to be able to get the data that they needed and, and be able to use it for either sort of ad hoc work or being able to sort of create a pipeline of raw data that we collected through the app or ride data or whatever, and then be able to turn that into useful insights. The way that this worked when I joined is there was a bunch of analysts who would sit around and download just piles and piles of data, like gigabytes, onto laptops. And then they would have these models written in R, the programming language. And then they would crunch these numbers overnight to, to generate whatever outcomes they needed. And they'd come in in the morning and they'd have this stack of laptops on their desks. And some of them may have succeeded and some of them may have failed. And where they failed, that was lost opportunities, right? Whatever outcome they were trying to achieve with their model, they didn't have data. And the ones that did succeed, you know, maybe the model was incorrect or the data didn't look good or there was some other problem and that, you know, work was also lost. And so it was only a relatively small percentage of, of the effort that was being exerted that actually paid off and had return on investment. So it was our job to figure out how can we not run these jobs on this pile of laptops that the, the analysts had 
And then moreover, how can we sort of make this a more pleasant experience that runs faster in, in the data centers on, you know, hardware designed to run this stuff? Almost all of the work that we were doing at the time that I joined was focused on Uber China. Uber China was the biggest opportunity that Uber was looking at at the time. You know, this market, which, you know, really shortly prior had no ride sharing, all of a sudden fierce competition between Uber and uh, Didi. And what we were trying to do is get better data into the hands of city teams faster. And so the particular project that this uh, blog post sort of revolved around is we needed to figure out what to give drivers as incentives for logging on every day. And so a lot of people know that Uber was heavily incentivized, continues to be heavily incentivized in a lot of ways. If you're just getting paid for the rides that you're doing, it's probably not enough. And so it would say, oh, if you do, you know, 30 rides back to back, we'll, you know, kick you an extra few bucks. Or it would say, you know, we're having a special today. You know, every ride that you do is worth an extra 15% more or something like that. And at the time, the challenge was if a driver woke up in the morning, opened their phone, looked and saw, you know, Uber's offering, you know, a $2 incentive and Didi is offering a $2.50 incentive. And obviously it's not dollars. And obviously those weren't the right values. They, they would go for Didi instead of Uber. And so we wouldn't have that capacity for that day. And so the goal was get this data into the hands of the city teams so that they know what incentives to offer for that day. You know, keep it as low as possible, but also don't go below what Didi is offering. And the way that they were doing this was that these giant Excel spreadsheets, right? Like multi-megabyte XLSX files. And the directive that I had was basically get this into the hands of somebody in China. <laughs> and the constraints that we were under is the only access they had to our systems was through the browser. And so... You know, they could log on to this, you know, for, for more technically inclined listeners, beyond corp style setup, you'd log into this portal, you'd have some sort of access. And then the series of APIs that we could offer on the back end to, to sort of serve data up to your browser. There was no logging into anything. There was no, you know, backend system that they had access to. It was purely what we could put on the page. And I was told, put this Excel spreadsheet in the browser. And that's a big challenge, right? Like. Excel doesn't run in the browser. You know, you have Office 365 and similar solutions, but at the time that didn't exist. It's also the case that we couldn't simply offer, you know, Google Sheet because that's not, you know, on our infrastructure that wasn't hooked into anything. A lot of access control issues there and, you know, how you actually get the data, you know, this had to be per city team or per, you know, regional manager. That's a lot of setup and construction to do. To make sort of a long story short, the backend folks didn't have the capacity to sit down and turn this Excel spreadsheet, this massive Excel spreadsheet into code. And it was being worked on often enough and tweaked and updated that even if that were feasible, taking those changes and updates and turning those into code was not practical. We couldn't sit down with the analysts and say, okay, instead of working in Excel, now you're working in Python or Java. And so we had to operate with an Excel file as input. And then we had to feed data for each individual city team into this, you know, quote unquote spreadsheet and make it available. And so my solution was, we're going to do this on the front end. We're going to take the Excel spreadsheet and put it into some format, JSON or what have you, with all of the formulas in the raw Excel format. And we're going to pull in all of the data necessary to make the spreadsheet run from the APIs that we have available. And we're going to put it onto the page. 
when I was at Box before Uber, I had worked on this little project that was sort of designed as like a mini spreadsheet application. There's a lot of intense interest in sort of note-taking apps at the time. Box had one called Box Notes. Dropbox had one called Dropbox Paper, both of them based on technology called Etherpad or Hackpad. And I said, well, why not do this with spreadsheets, right? Sometimes you just need to do a little tiny you know, spreadsheet, crunch some numbers, share it with folks. And uh, I wrote a really tiny calculation engine, basic support for formulas. It never took off. Nobody at Box showed any interest. It was just a little demo that I put together to show off the technology. Didn't go anywhere. They, they said, we don't want this. We're not going to do anything with it. And so I said, okay, suck it in my pocket for a rainy day. And sure enough, here is this rainy day. And so I took this code that I had and I fleshed out the calculation engine to support all of the things that the analysts were doing in this spreadsheet and then put it on the page. And that's what we shipped. A lot of folks sort of surprised that it worked. I was a little surprised that it works, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And perhaps, you know, for, for the best or, or, you know, just as fate would have it, roughly a week or two later, Uber China was, was sold to, to Didi and all of Uber China efforts within Uber got shut down. And that was the last that the, the code has ever seen. Wow. Yeah. Super interesting. And in the, I, I, I want to get into the weeds into one little thing you shared in the blog post, which was around the circular references that you saw in Excel, but you couldn't necessarily replicate that in your front-end solution. And that's because you learned something unique about the way Excel handles circular references. I'm curious, like what yeah. that whole, how, how that whole series of events. So that progressed. was super surprising to me. I didn't know that you could have circular references in Excel. So I was building okay. this out, you know, I built out all this function support. I had you know, written a script that would go through every cell in this giant spreadsheet and pull out all of the, the expressions that you use, all the functions built into Excel. And I went down the list and I made sure all of them were implemented, made sure they all had tests, so on and so forth. I run the output and it dumps the results on the page, right? It's all formatted. It looks like Excel, but all the numbers are just a tiny bit off. And so, you know, the output was expected to be 3.03 .03 and it was 3.041. Or, you know, it's supposed to be 1.702 and it was 1.710. And it's like, what is going on here, right? Like, it's so close. And I went down this rabbit hole, you know, is it the way that Excel handles floating point numbers that differs from the way that JavaScript handles floating point numbers? Is there like some really subtle calculation error that's, that's going on? Am I, you know, adding something incorrectly or who knows, right? And so... The way that this is all sort of modeled was as a graph. So for folks who big into math, spend a lot of time sort of thinking about graph theory, each cell is represented as a node in this graph. And then the references between the cells are modeled as edges. And so I'm sitting there in my debugger, walking through each of these edges to every cell. And there's thousands and thousands of them, and I can't find any problems. So finally I give up and I say, I'm pulling my hair out. I still had hair at the time. Okay. I'm going to the analyst who wrote this thing. And like, if nothing else, the, the difference is just so small that like, surely there must be some explanation, right? Like if it was a much larger value that it was differing by, like, it's very clearly my fault, but it's, it's just this tiny amount. So I, I, I find the, the desks that they're sitting at. And thankfully one of the guys is there. I remember maybe there was two or three of them. And I say, listen, I'm implementing this spreadsheet. And everybody knew what I was up to. 
all of my numbers are just a little bit wrong. And I show them my laptop and they're like, oh yeah, that's the circ. And I was like, I don't know what that word means, the circ. And they're like, yeah, the circular reference. And I said, what are you talking about? Isn't that an error, right? Like my experience with Excel is if you have a circular reference, one cell references another cell, that's how somehow, you know, cycles back uh, to the original cell, you get an error. And he said, no, 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 no. If there's a circular reference, Excel will continue computing that cycle and it'll keep doing it and it will stop and converge on a value. Or it will stop and, and, and resolve to a single definite value if it converges. So if every time it runs that calculation, if the difference between those runs drops below a certain epsilon value, it'll stop that execution and it won't throw the error. And so they were using this, and I, I hope I'm correct in saying this, I, I think it was for linear regression. And so they would do this like little linear regression that involved basically a recursive function in Excel where the recursion was happening through a cyclic reference between cells and it would converge on this value and they would use that value. And because my calculation engine was making the assumption that you just couldn't have circular references, when it encountered that circular reference, it would just bail and return whatever value that it happened to have, which hadn't converged as it would if you repeated that cycle. So when they explained this, of course, it made a ton of sense, right? Like that's obviously the answer. I wasn't handling this. This was an important feature of you know, their spreadsheet. I went back to the hallway that I'd been working in, which is this oddly like peaceful sort of place, black glass mirror walls with the big leather couch in the middle. And I put on my headphones, I just sat there like, how the hell am I going to implement this damn thing? But I got an idea and I, I worked on it, took me a few hours, came up with something. It, it turned out it worked. And sure enough, as soon as I had that support implemented, the numbers were essentially exactly what they needed to be. So very pleased. I learned something. It's a horrifying sort of revelation when you learn that it exists. In fact, the comments on Hacker News for my blog post, uh, a lot of people didn't believe it. You know, a lot of people were arguing, oh, no, you can't do this. And it turns out, yeah, you can. There's, there's settings in Excel you can actually go into to modify how many attempts Excel will make, how many iterations it'll make. And you can also configure what that epsilon value is that it, the difference has to drop below before it converges. Yeah, I think the that same kind of setting exists for the goal seek function in Excel, where you're, you have various constraints and you're trying to excel to find the most optimal value to fulfill those constraints. And it can, you can say like how many basic calculations are you willing to put up with until it arises something close enough to the most optimum value. Super interesting. And then one thing that caught my eye near the end of the post was you were, as you were kind of demoing this tool solution to your, I guess you could say, end target audience, it sounded like they wanted it to look like Excel, but not. 100% function like Excel. I think you mentioned something along the lines of the analyst didn't want the ability to be able to see the formulas that were used in the calculations because that could be seen as competitive data that DD could have used at the time for yeah. their own pricing. Yeah, so that that was sort of a surprising <laughs> outcome. You know, I built this and, you know, one of the engineers on my team, I would call him the lead engineer, he saw this and he's like, oh, where'd you get this Excel component? I was like, oh, I built it. And he's like, yeah, but where'd you get it from? Was, oh, I built it. 
<laughs> and he was just like, his mind was blown. He thought it was Excel, right? He thought it was like an ActiveX control that Microsoft was putting out or something along those lines. And, you know, shipping it, we, we put it in production. Everybody was super happy. You know, there was sort of the go team email that got sent out. And the next day, the head of, he wasn't the head of the department, but the head of this part of finance, you know, set, I don't remember if he sent an email, if he came over in person, because we were sitting right there. And he was very upset. And he's like, how come you can click in the cells and see the formulas? And I was like, well, you said to make it like Excel, right? Like put Excel in the browser. And that's what it does. And he was like, oh, well, we can't allow that because, and, and the explanation that he gave, and I, I don't know if this is legitimate or not. I don't know how true this is, but he claims that there were DD employees who were applying for jobs at Uber China to be interns for the sole purpose of espionage. These people were coming in and just trying to hoover up whatever data they can to report back to Didi and, you know, say, hey, you know, tomorrow Uber is going to offer these driver incentives. So make sure they're a little bit higher. And, and so he wanted to make sure that there was no chance that somebody could go in and somehow figure out what these values would be. That was a pretty easy change. You know, at, at the time, I think it was just like a click handler. You know, if you click into the cell, you know, swap out the the calculated value for the formula. I just made it not do that. So that was pretty easy. Unfortunately, you know, like I said, a, a week or so later, Uber China was no more and it, it didn't really matter in the end anyway. Yeah. How did that, how did that feel? I mean, you just put all this time and energy into building this front end tool, it launched and then, you know, the powers that be basically Uber China no longer existed. So what, what was that kind yeah. of feeling like? I'll say like very broadly, it was so weird, right? We had spent at this point, like the better part of six months, if not, you know, more than six months doing everything for Uber China, right? The whole purpose of the crystal ball team at that point was making sure that the Uber China team had their data needs met and all of the analysts focusing on Uber China for the most part. And one day we came in and we we're looking at our phones and the the news, right? New York Times, CNN, everybody, uh, Uber, China has been sold to Didi. We had gotten no communication. There was no, you know, all hands meeting. There was no calendar invite. It was extremely surprising. And so a lot of us had the the wherewithal to say, okay, well, pencils down, right? Like, <laughs> wait, wait until we've gotten some other information before we we do anything else. And of course, a few hours later, Travis Klanick, who was still the CEO at the time, you know, sent out a message and there was an all hands and a lot of people had to figure out what to do next very quickly. A lot of folks who had, you know, just landed in China, you know, gotten off of flights who suddenly had to book a flight home because they didn't have, <laughs> you know, work to do anymore. Mm -hmm. The point of the blog post was sort of talking about that, that reaction, that feeling, you know, as an engineer, really anyone, right? Like you build something and you care about it. You, you put a lot of time and effort and you feel like it's clever and you feel proud of it. It takes a lot to take a step back and say, like, this thing no longer has a purpose. And you can be disappointed that the thing no longer has a purpose. But for me, it was mostly about outcomes, right? Like you're, you're building something for the purpose of helping make the business successful. And like, if the business is unsuccessful for reasons outside of your control, you did your best. Holding that tool or that product or whatever you've built, that widget as precious isn't serving you and it's not serving the business. It's about thinking about it critically and saying, you know, what can I do to maybe reuse this code in the future? Or like, how can I preserve it in some way so that it improves 
outcomes for some other business unit or, you know, maybe makes our lives easier in the future. But if you're not doing that, there's, there's really nothing to get upset over, you know, it's just move on to the next problem. We had stuff to do, you know, there was after that project, the crystal ball team started to pivot away from R. We started focusing more on Python. We started focusing more on internal teams, data needs and thinking about, you know, what could we do to uh, support sort of longer lasting initiatives, sort of yearly planning instead of daily planning, um, things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was definitely disappointing, you know, and like, certainly everything was sort of disappointing, you know, all this work that we'd put in all of a sudden evaporates, but that that's just how it goes sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to your point, like you picked up on the original calculation tool you had built at box to build this thing. And so like your point, you, hopefully you can reuse it someday in the future. Who knows that whatever future role you have. And I believe you put it all, all on GitHub, GitHub as well, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's been up there. I, I called it web sheets. It's maybe a, a very um, pres presumptive name, just given the the lack of activity that it's had since 2017, 2016. I didn't want this code to go to waste. I know there are definitely other people solving similar problems, and one of the the core pieces of a lot of different applications is a calculation engine. And even if you don't build it in an Excel-like way, uh, there's a lot of usefulness in being able to sort of take uh, a spreadsheet-like data model and, and, and run uh, numeric calculations against it. A lot of people got upset um, in the, the Hacker News comments, you know, like, oh, you know, your general counsel is going to be upset about this. It's like, I built this in my own time for Box and, you know, I showed it off as like a fun show and tell sort of thing and nobody cared about it. Nobody wanted it. The team was uninterested. And I said, okay, well, it's my thing. And then bringing it to Uber, you know, Uber had actually a surprisingly robust open source culture. There were a lot of teams that were working in the open, a lot of teams that were working on products, which were open source that they had developed. Um, you know, a great example of that, Uber's front-end frameworks team, who perhaps against all odds, you know, even to this day, I, I would classify as one of the best out there, right? Building internal web frameworks uh, for building websites and, and other tooling. Um, one of the guys who was working on that had built a CSS in JS solution. Um, for those of you who don't know what that means, don't worry about it too much. But it, it was his project that he was effectively working on full-time at Uber and making more robust for the purposes of making Uber's internal tooling better. And so, you know, there was a lot of precedent for, for people working on stuff that was important and served business needs, but that maybe wasn't owned by the business as the business's own intellectual property. I know there were definitely infrastructure teams who were doing similar things. And in fact, you know, you look at any company today and you'll see them making open source contributions. You know, Stripe makes a lot of open source contributions to the software that they use, be it HashiCorp software or I know that, you know, Stripe is really deep into Mongo and, and they'll sometimes make various contributions to the Mongo ecosystem and all sorts of security tooling and, you know, any number of, of different kinds of applications that are out there. So, yeah, I thought, that, you know, what better way to sort of give back and, and share this stuff than to just make sure that it's all available and open source licensed appropriately. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned Hacker News, I guess, kind of to wrap up on this chapter in your experience at Uber. I feel like anytime I see something about spreadsheets or Excel and Hacker News, inevitably there's someone saying, you won't believe how much of my company's X processes and however many dollars are run off of someone's Excel file. 
just curious like what the general yeah, comments and interesting stories you've heard from hacker news after releasing it after you know it was on hacker news's the hacker news website anything interesting come up there yeah so you know i think a lot of people read the article and think oh well i could have done this <laughs> i think there's probably a lot of people who could yeah you know, i'm not going to say that i'm you know the, the best oh, it certainly wasn't the strongest excel user i learned so much in the process you know one one of the the things that I, I learned halfway through this, you know, I was looking for like resources on how to do stuff in Excel or looking for resources on, you know, how things are implemented in Excel. And one of the things that people point me towards, they're like, you're not going to believe this. It's terrible, but it's the best. There's a series of in, in, instructional YouTube videos on Excel published, and you probably know this, by Martin Shkreli, the, the farmer yes. bro that everybody hates, like yeah. this total douchebag is like one of the best resources for like Excel trivia and, and deep Excel knowledge. And you know, it's feel like really icky sort of watching these videos, but you know, like things like that. And it, I love this, the little anecdotes that people have about ways that they were able to crunch data with Excel. It's such an amazing tool because it has such a fast feedback loop. There are so many founders that you'll find on Hacker News who have started their business entirely in Excel. And it's because... You can take this raw data that you have that you either collect from users or collect from leads or prospective customers or you know research that you've done, and you're able to take that data and transform it or aggregate it or otherwise manipulate it in such a way that you can get interesting insights out of it without writing a single line of code, you know, for whatever you sort of define as as code. And one of the reasons why Excel is such a powerful choice for projects like the one that I worked on at Uber is because Turning that into code requires this really steep investment in engineering. Um, it's easy for somebody to look at something that's laid out spatially. We have this natural intuition to say, you know, here's a piece of data, go from X to Y, and you can immediately see that output. You can't do that with code. You have to write tests. You have to write different types of integrations. You run some code, it produces, say, a CSV file as output, and then you have to inspect that and understand the chain of events that got to that data. Whereas with Excel, you it can look at every step along the way and understand exactly how it got there and be able to modify it. Losing that spatial aspect incurs a cost. Losing the immediateness incurs a cost. And so Excel is this incredibly valuable tool for so many people, both in terms of end users who are going to consume that information because it's laid out graphically and in, in a nice, easy to follow way, but then also to build it because you have that super tight feedback loop. Where a lot of people start to get frustrated and and the places where excel starts to groan and show its ways you know you have this three megabyte excel file or you know even larger perhaps and doing calculations on it no longer really seems feasible and you have you know people running these long-running jobs or you know excel is suddenly taking 100 gigabytes of memory and you're aging and you whatever else yeah I, I think there's a lot of interesting ways to solve this problem a lot of the hacker news comments, the ones that weren't angry about me, you know, maybe the intellectual property rights of the companies I worked for, you know, saying, oh, why didn't you just throw Excel, you know, on a you know VM and have people VNC into it? And, you know, frankly, like that wasn't an option as much as I would have loved to say, you know, Excel is the right tool for this job. You know, you couldn't, you shouldn't have been able to see the the formulas or, or the raw data coming in as inputs. We didn't have that option. Uh, you couldn't just VNC into stuff from China to you know a data center in the United States that's very locked down. 
So it's interesting to, to sort of read through some of the comments and things that people would have tried, but you know, ultimately a lot of it had been thought through. It's just, you know, a really tough problem. Right, right, for sure. Well, again, yeah, for folks listening, definitely read the whole blog post. A lot more there that wasn't that's not has not been covered by Matt here. But you did move on to a financial engineering project doing forecasting and planning. Yeah. Can you tell us more about was it how you moved to this new project? Was Excel is Excel you was Excel using that that new world yeah. things like that? So I definitely didn't talk about this at all in my blog post. I had gone on a date. This was shortly after Uber China dissolved. I was on that the crystal ball team for a few more weeks. I, I went on this date and there was a, a coat check and I kept my phone in the pocket of my coat. I didn't want to be carrying it around at this event. And so maybe 11 o'clock at night, you know, we're, we're leaving and I get my coat and I take it up, my phone out of my pocket and I look and I just have all these notifications. I have like two dozen notifications and it's text messages and emails and missed calls and voicemails. And it's from my manager. And I'm thinking, oh God, like what has happened? I'm not on call, but like something must have gone terribly wrong. And so I, I, I don't even look at anything. I call him up and I say, what's going on? And he says, oh, thank God. Um, I have an important question for you. There's some things happening. Another team is in trouble. And his exact wording, it was so curious. How would you feel about me not being your manager anymore? And I said, I guess that's fine. He's like, okay, good. And so he's like, I'm going to play some calls to the director. You know, we'll, we'll get you moved over. You know, don't worry about anything tomorrow. I'll give you more information. It's like, okay, this is very strange. And the finance engineering team was in trouble. Uh, so that was another team within business intelligence. And the next day I met with the manager of that team and they were building this forecasting and planning product to figure out first how much money Uber was going to make in fiscal year 2017 from bottoms up, right? Like everybody at the city team level was going to plug in their numbers and that would go up to the regional level and so on and so forth, all the way up to the CEO. And then there was this planning component afterwards. We know how much money the company is going to make. And then the CEO logs in and says, okay, this much goes to the you know CTO, this much goes to the CMO, this much goes to whatever, so on and so forth. And then each of those people log in and they slice up the budget. And then you know all the people under them log in, slice up the budget until it goes all the way back to the bottom, this top-down process. And that was going to create the budget for 2017. For 2016, this process had taken months and months and months. And by the time it was done, we were midway through the year. The goal was to do this whole thing in like two weeks and, and make it all happen. And to do this, they were building this web application. And so, you know, you'd log in, plug in all the numbers. And on the back end, it was a system that I had never heard of. It's called IBM TM1. There's some of you out there who I, I'm sure like <laughs> just losing your minds. TM1, I think a lot of folks are more familiar with the cloud-based offering Anaplan, which is its own company, but a lot of folks use Anaplan these days. TM1 is sort of the more self-hosted, robust solution. You sort of choose your own adventure a little bit more and, and program it in whatever way you want. It requires some very specialized know-how. There are definitely people out there who are consultants or analysts who specialize in programming for TM1. Um, and the way it was described to me on my first day on this team is it is Excel with multiple dimensions. And so you think about an Excel spreadsheet and it's two-dimensional. You have sort of X and Y. You can sort of squeeze out a third dimension by counting the sheets, right? So you have X, Y, and then which sheet you're on, and maybe you call that Z. But in a lot of cases, there's 
data that you have that's multidimensional beyond just two or three dimensions, right? And so Uber, for instance, you have the number of rides that are taking place, and then you can break that down by the car type, and then you can break that down by the city and the region and all sorts of other dimensions about each individual ride. And so, for instance, you might select, you know, how many Uber black rides took place in North America or, you know, how many rides took place between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. local time broken out by individual car type. And so TM1 is this giant vertically scaled in-memory database pulled in raw data from our Vertica data store. And what they were doing is using this to do the forecasting and planning. And so it was our job to take the output of TM1 through their REST API and expose this in a way that made sense for all of these users, right? Everybody from city team level all the way up to C-level executives and, and build it in such a way that you could reason about it and, and not have to have, you know, a PhD in th this like very proprietary database format. Um, in a lot of ways, it was similar. You know, the people who were directing this project, the, the higher ups within the finance org that reported the CFO, they had all been deep in the finance ecosystem. My recollection is that many of them had been people like managing hedge funds or doing day trading at like Goldman Sachs and their lives were spent in Excel. All they did was Excel. And so a lot of the things that we were asked to build was modeled on the types of interfaces that they had been exposed to, right? They said, oh, well, we have this thing. And, you know, how do we just replicate this? And the thing that they had was Excel. And so part of the battle there was balancing this desire for them to have the thing that they understand and know, but then also making it user-friendly and saying, oh, well, instead of doing this as a spreadsheet, let's do it as a wizard, you know, and break it up into logical steps and have input validation and, you know, sort of allow you to see the consequences of your stuff rather than just giving you a grid of squares and, and hoping that the numbers come out correct. Interesting. And then how did that, so it sounded like similar, it was like, you're working on this tool and then eventually was it like launched and then it was just kind of people just started using it or was it just kind of like a typical kind of software cycle where it's like getting feedback, iteration, and just constantly improving it? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, spoilers, I guess it launched and it, it, <laughs> It shipped and we, we did the forecasting and planning in, you know, roughly the amount of time that we wanted it to be accomplished in. And so I will say like the project ultimately a success. The process of getting there was very difficult. One of the big challenges that we had is folks working under the CFO and the CFO himself, they weren't engineering minded people, right? They, they weren't used to working with engineers. I remember very, very clearly this one acceptance meeting that we went to, we had built this prototype that was, you know, effectively feature complete. And we wanted them to validate, is this what you want, right? Like, is this asking the questions that you wanted to ask? Are the calculations that are being done in the front end, the sorts of things that you expect, are the numbers looking correct? And we brought this to them and, you know, we give this elaborate demo for 10 minutes. And then for 30 minutes, they're like, this just isn't like Excel. Like when you click on this, it should have a blue border or, you know, this text, because it's negative should be red. And I'm like, that's an easy fix, right? Like I can change the color of the text. That's no problem. <laughs> like that's going to take me 30 seconds. You can make a list of that separately. Like what matters is that this is going to solve the use case, right? Like whether the text is blue or red or indigo, whatever, 
like that's not going to make this or break this, you know? And so it, it was a bit of an uphill battle playing this tug of war between the analysts and them taking what they saw and, and being able to evaluate it in the way that we wanted them to evaluate it. And then also sort of battling with this preconceived notion of like what the tool should be. We had product managers, you know, this is maybe getting a little bit into the, the politics of the situation at the time. We went through like six product managers on this team because the CFO kept firing them. For whatever reason, the PMs reported to the CFO where we reported to, it rolled up to the CTO. And so for whatever reason, there was this bizarre split where the product management side was reporting to finance. We were reporting to engineering and the product managers would go to the the leaders within the, the finance org and say, well, we can't do this because it's not going to work. And the finance folks, you're telling me this can't happen. And then we get can't. So, you know, the span of six months, I think we went through like six product managers and it was very demoralizing. They were supposed to be sort of the buffer between, you know, finance folks saying we want Excel in the browser and us saying, well, you know, normal people can't use that. And, and fortunately, you know, we got to a, a positive outcome, but there was definitely strife. <laughs> I'm curious, did you ever have to interact with like anyone from Microsoft in terms of learning about ActiveX or how their own calculation engine works? Or was it all just like, you know, watching YouTube videos and looking up yeah, things online? That's a great question. Never worked with anybody from Microsoft. I didn't have any contacts there. We didn't have any contacts overall for people at Microsoft. And so by and large, Microsoft is not in the picture. Everything that we built in terms of user interface was custom built with React, for those of you that are familiar. The calculation stuff all through reverse engineering, reference online, you know, a lot of time spent in the docs for Excel, understanding sort of what's going on there. We did spend a lot of time on the IBM TM1 side. We actually got the guy who came up with, invented, started the company that made TM1 that IBM acquired. And he, he flew in for a couple of weeks and like spent time with us and, you know, helped us make the tool successful. I think in the end, probably as a result of us working with him, a bunch of the analysts from our team had actually presented at the TM1 conference that IBM puts on and, and showed all this, oh, very new innovative use for the REST API and TM1. We, we had a lot of influence from Excel, certainly. Actually, one of the product managers that had left, departed before I joined the finance engineering team, probably while I was working on the Excel in the browser project for Crystal Ball, she was sort of well-known for this infamous line, this infamous quote that she kept making. And she would claim that the product needed to be faster than Excel. And to this day, I don't know what that means. Like, what does it mean to be faster than Excel, right? Like, it's instantaneous. <laughs> hey, right? You click in the cell and it's there, it's done, you know? And we could set like a latency target of, you know, milliseconds or something. But like, I don't know what that means faster than Excel. I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially since Excel runs on, you know, your, your machine, whereas exactly. your tool is running <laughs> through the browser. So you have like yeah. server and clients yeah. to figure out. So, yeah. Well, you yeah. Know, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, I know we're getting close to time. I've had you for almost an hour. So thank you so much. And. I kind of wanted to sort of wrap things up and put a bow on this. And we, I'm normally talking to folks who you're partnering with, which are, who are the analysts and the folks who are using Excel every day. 
So kind of to wrap things up, I'm curious if you have any, I don't know, advice, takeaways for analysts who are in Excel every day, because you're coming at it from the engineering perspective. Anything you want to share about working with those folks who are in Excel, crunching numbers, just curious to hear what you have to say from the engineering perspective. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I can't critique the work that analysts do, especially the work that they do in Excel, right? Excel is such a great tool for getting work done. And I, I can't argue with that. I think the, the big question that arises is like, what happens when a business crosses the threshold where Excel no longer makes sense? as the tool for, you know, getting the data that they need. And, and really at the end of the day, what that looks like for most organizations is a team of engineers sits down and rewrites a big old Excel spreadsheet from scratch in a more traditional programming language where it's done imperatively, it runs on a server. The code is very much modeled in a, a very different way. The data comes in in a very different way. And it's this sort of graduation from you know, a, a pile of cells that have been, you know, curated and, and produced in a bespoke way into a place where people think very rigorously about the inputs and, and how they're handled and where the data flows and how that sort of ends up. I think that the big touch point that most of these folks would have is around that migration process. And I think one of the important things that analysts can do to make their lives and the engineers' lives easier and, and work together better. And not to say that they, the analysts should be sort of bending over backwards for the engineers, but something that makes everybody's life better is documentation. One of the things that makes Excel very difficult to work with is it's so opaque when you have a lot of calculations happening. And something that would have made my life easier, and I think a lot of my teammates' lives easier, is just having comments, right? It's very tempting to go through and build this spreadsheet and you know, put in a bunch of calculations and now you have new data in a row and, you know, you go and you write some new calculations, you pull that over to another sheet. Just having a cell off to the side that says, here, I'm, you know, crunching these numbers and this is going to be used for this. And then where that data gets used, you know, this is pulling data from over here and the purpose of this is whatever. And even if those cells with that little bit of documentation is non-functional, if you make, you know, a little bit of a reasonable effort to keep that in sync and uh, make sure it stays up to date, that goes such a long way for your own reference and you'll find yourself relying on that, I think, more and more. But then also, if somebody needs to be able to do something with your, your spreadsheet in the future and be able to either transform it into code or at the very least, just understand what it's doing, how it's working, it's invaluable, especially as more people work on a single spreadsheet and share that around or collaborate. Being able to sort of understand the provenance of a particular piece of data or why a decision was made documentation, honestly, is like the number one thing. That's so important. Yeah. Documentation, documentation, documentation. Matt, well, appreciate you walking us through your experience at, at Uber. And I took a whole bunch of notes and really excited to share this out with, with the listeners. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you again. And thank you for your time for, for today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm.